0: Any questions today? You want to ask me in particular? According to the Buddhism, many things happen according to the karma or previous things. But on the other hand, we say if you try, you can achieve anything. So, is there any limits or contradiction on those two things? And when we reflect on karma, we can see that the past, in the past we've made karma, good and bad. And that gives its result right up until this moment, the present moment. We're receiving the results of past karma. The present moment though is also the cause for uh, creating, we're creating karma now which will bring its result in the future. So we're both receiving the fruits of our old karma and creating new karma in in the present time, present moment. So you can look at that, you can say well karma that you've made in the past uh, will certainly have a very strong influence on what you're doing now. You say you've done, uh, in the past you've lived in a way without much morality uh, didn't keep precepts, didn't practice morality, well then in this life, you'll have a very strong tendency to live without morality because of your past conditioning, karmic conditioning. Or in the past, you have kept morality, try to lead a good life, a skillful life, restrained in the precepts. Well, that will be a strong cause for this life for you to do the same again. However, these are not the whole story, it's also what you're doing in the present moment. So if Even if you do say have uh, negative karmic results from the past, that you, you know, in the past you didn't practice morality, say, so this life you have that tendency to not practice morality, you can still overcome that through doubling your efforts, trying, putting forth a lot of effort to keep morality in this life, give up your old habits. let go of your greed, anger, delusion. Not attached to to things too much. You know, you can get beyond any old habits, old karmas, if you really try. So it's important to see that that you know we do still have the potential for always for change and for developing ourselves for the good. But our past karma does influence us, so we should be aware of that. So asking, "How is your practice going?" You. Practice meditation regularly, keep the precepts, study the Dhamma, and if you do, how is that going? Is it going well? Do you have any difficulties? Very difficult for people to try come to the body. The what? The effort. Effort, effort, yeah. So it comes in spurts. So you apply the first, and then you can see somewhere you are getting but then slowly you go away from Then you have come back again and it's a real struggle to, to continually keep on accepting enough paper. To arouse energy and effort in the practice is to uh, develop heedfulness quality heedfulness and you can develop heedfulness by reflecting on the fact that life is uncertain we don't know how long we'll live here in the world we don't know how long when we will die, how we will die or when or where and because of that you know, we we should use our time wisely to practice. And what we tend to do is get become complacent, and we get caught up into distractions, seeking different kinds of sensual pleasures and comforts, and different distractions, and we forget about the spiritual practice, the spiritual path. So you have to arouse energy by you know contemplating that life is short, life is uncertain, I don't know how long I'll be, um, do I have all the means and skills available at this time to solve every kind of dukkha or suffering that may arise in my life, that I may have to face in the future, um, I don't can't be sure what I have to face in the future, it could be aging and illness, it could be other kinds of dukkha, other kinds of suffering might come up, am I ready for that now, am I, do I know how to deal with suffering correctly and wisely. If I don't, then I should put my e- more effort into developing the path of um, siddhāna and sila and bhāvanā, developing insight. And then I'll have the skills to deal with that dukkha. You think like this to arouse energy, to see that the, the most important thing in life is to learn learn how to practice to, to end suffering and find the way that leads us to end suffering. When we have regrets about the past, we say we sort of put guilt on ourselves that but are but according to the Dhamma that's not correct is it? Because in the past we were different. But now we're um, sort of different but we carry on carry the fruit. In form of the, I don't know. It's normal for us as human beings we have a functioning memory so we have um, mental states and mental objects come up that we remember things that have happened in the past, things we've done, uh, the karma we've made through body speech and mind in the past. As these come up in the mind then we'll tend to react to what's happened in the past. So if it's something we look at as not good, something we feel we did wrong or badly, uh, we'll tend to react with aversion to that. We won't like that memory. We'll start to feel um, unhappy, uh, uh, irritated maybe, if it or regret. If it's uh, a good memory, you know, something we enjoyed or did in the past, we found pleasurable, tend to be another kind of reaction, Uh, might want to indulge in that memory, think it over uh, and enjoy it again as it were. Both reactions lead to suffering, although they're not exactly the same at first, they both lead to suffering uh, and, and disturb the mind. So what the Buddha taught is to practice mindfulness, to establish mindfulness as memories and the associated Feelings, emotions, moods come up with those memories to establish mindfulness. Because if you have mindfulness, you can start to see this way the mind attaches or clings to a memory. And when it clings, well, it will hold on to it, think about it, and uh, from that create suffering. So, in the case, say it's a a memory that we're of, of us doing something wrong, perhaps doing something inappropriate, or, or we feel we were judging it and we've done something wrong. Then we'll cling on to that, and we'll start to have a thought of ill will directed towards ourselves. I'm, I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm no good. Whatever. And if you don't have mindfulness, or well, you keep clinging that in that way, Well, it will keep feeding all kinds of mental proliferation and moods, and it will just go on, and that habit will become stronger. And it will come up more often and in more stronger ways. So the way is to establish mindfulness and to understand, oh, this is a memory. Uh, if it was something unskillful one did in the past, well, the memory comes up. One says, well, this is over with, but I will learn. I can learn from this. Uh, I can see what I did was maybe not the best, something wrong or unskillful. I've learned this lesson now. I can see with mindfulness, you can see what you did, you can understand it. You forgive yourself because you, you have to accept what well, is it's done and what's done has been done. And then you establish the understanding why well, I won't do it. Like that again, I won't do that thing, say that thing again. And then you have to let go. Because it is the past, you just let go as accepting the past. As the past is over with. So you're not clinging on and keep generating more ill will in the present moment based on that memory. You're just using it as a say a learning process, a learning tool. And from there you drop it and let it go and this is, you have to develop the skill of establishing mindfulness and then reflecting wisely on your mental experience, the memories that come up And with mindfulness and, and wise reflection. You, you act in an appropriate way to resolve that memory, let it go and maybe learn a lesson but then to move on without clinging on to it with ill will. Okay. I mean you said that meditation is, you know, is there any way, like if a person has pain and suffering is there any mechanism without, not everybody can do meditation because they're not focused is there any other way to apart from meditation that you can uh, think about it and remove the pain and suffering that you have if you are sick or something or depressed, is there any other mechanism that you can think of it So in the case of somebody who's uh, never meditated, maybe not a Buddhist, um, you might get them first of all just to think of the good things in their life. And that's the good they've done for themselves in the past, the good they might have done for their parents, their family and relatives, for society, um, because we all have done some good in our lives. We can get them to think of that consciously, bring it up and it will have a very uh, good effect on the mind. The mind becomes happier thinking in that way. Um, and it's similar to the last question, if they have the tendency to dwell on negative things from the past, encourage them not to do that. Encourage them to let go of the past. Um, you might not actually call it meditation but really this is the beginning of meditation. Learning to focus the mind, think, bring up thoughts the good that we've done, and to let go of thoughts of the bad we've done and, and negative things in, in our lives, to let go of them, give them up. That's the beginning of meditation. And you can also watch, if if they find this is working, starting to think in more positive ways about the good they've done, you may start to encourage them to do dhana in any form that they can. And if they're ill, maybe dana, you can do dana on their behalf. Get them to do any form of dhāna, generosity, charity, thinking of helping other people. Get them to think about morality, you know, the value of, of living in a moral way where you don't harm yourself or other people. And to see if, you know, where they might practice that. And then when they're ready, we'll maybe teach them a very basic method of meditation, like the breathing meditation. It's a very simple method to learn to focus the mind on the feeling of the in and out breath uh, for short periods of time at first. And when they feel calm enough, relaxed enough to do it, we'll try that. And that can also help free them from a lot of suffering. Hi You're paying the debt of gratitude to one's parents. If you could uh, ask uh, John and Anna if you could uh, tell us a little bit about paying the debt of gratitude to one's parents. If our parents are still alive, well there's always, uh, usually there's, there's things we can do to help them, especially as they get older, um, physical, material support for them, helping them out in different ways. But the most important thing is also to develop ourselves, because we're their child, and if we can develop ourselves in a good way, live as a good person, and uh, develop ourselves on our spiritual path, that is the you know, the best way to bring their, the result of them bringing you into the world to fruition, you know, become, the more good we do for ourselves, train ourselves on the path of dana, sila, bhavana, the more good we do in that way, then that is naturally um, you know, making it worthwhile that they gave birth to us and brought, brought us up. Um, But while they're alive, we can also say, especially as they do get older, say you just know what we can do to help them out in different ways, support them, especially if they're sick. Um, Once they've passed away, well, we can still do good and always (coughs) share the merits with them, think of them, remember them, honour them, and pass the merits of whatever good we're doing to them. Um, The heart of it is really developing ourselves, our own path, um, to become a good person, is always that, that the goodness of that is flowing back to them. Isn't it? Uh, the question was when understanding karma, we say that the bad karma and the good karma we make, even the good karma we make is still a cause for further, we say, becoming and birth. Um, The reason we are in Sangsara, we have birth and death, birth and death, one after another. We have this life, we have next life. Because the karma we make, both good and bad, and and even the good, is a cause for further um, birth. Because we still have attachment, we cling to the good that we do with a sense of self. so the question was, well an arahant, one who's enlightened, no longer is making karma, is no longer has any causes for further birth, they've gone beyond the process of birth and death, they've reached the deathless. As a lay person practicing, can we practice like an arahant, do good, but without attaching, without creating the causes for future birth? Um Satanajan says, well, we, 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 we can practice like that if we establish mindfulness and practice non-attachment as we are doing good, the good we do in our practice, dana, sila, bhavana, we're consciously, mindfully and insightfully with wisdom, letting go of the sense of self, letting go of any sense of self and clinging to a sense of self in the good we're doing, uh, then we are practicing as if we're, we're practicing like an Arahant. So it's that sense of I am one doing good or this good that I am doing it belongs to me, it is my good that I have done. That kind of sense of self that we, we tend to have coming up in all that we do in life. You want to be mindful of that and let go of it because it's still a cause of suffering and it's a cause for future birth as long as we attach to the good we do. Um, in a way you know if if you're doing any kind of action in this world uh, even the good we do it can be a cause of suffering if we do attach people will praise you and you get attached to the praise or they criticize you you do good but they criticize you you get suffering from that and the good we do can still bring us suffering in different ways if we attach to it with a sense of self so the wise way to practice is to is to follow the the path, develop the path, do good but without attaching. One just does it because it is the right thing to do. It's it's a good way to go. Um, The Buddha said we practice abandoning the unwholesome, doing good and purifying our mind. And this is the way you do it. And the further question was, well, Tan sometimes encourages people to do good but not for themselves in the sense of I do this good act in order to get some benefit in the future, like some uh, we say Lokia benefit, worldly benefit, to get rich or to get happy in some way rather than thinking in that way which would still be a sense of self and a cause for more birth and becoming, attachment. Um, one might think I'm doing this good both as a way of showing, expressing my gratitude to the Buddha for his teachings And also to help (coughs) promote the teachings through doing good, through doing practice. To spread the teachings, to support the religion, so that the Buddhist teachings are available for all beings in this world. Uh, Through our practice we do that. We are are continuing the Buddhist teachings in the world by practicing them. One can think like that and he's asking, well is that in a way similar? We're we're cutting off or letting go of the causes for future birth and attack and, and uh, becoming and birth by not attaching to the good we do in any kind of personal way or with a sense of self. We're simply doing it to out of gratitude for the Buddha and to support the Buddhist religion for the good of all beings. And Sanachan said, yeah, that's a very valid way to look at your practice, the good that you do. Um, it's a way of letting go as well, letting go of the sense of self that might arise as you're practicing and doing good. The question was, um, if we do our practice, do the good that we do with uh, the wish in the mind, may this be a cause for uh, attaining nibbana? Is that uh, a suitable or appropriate way to think and to, to motivate ourselves? Is it correct or is it some form of kilesa or clinging if we do that? And Ajahn said, uh, normally we would call that aditana, barami. Aditana means to have determination or resolution in your mind. You're doing this, you're setting your goal in your mind and you're motivating yourself to act towards that goal. So if your goal is Nibbana and you're making that resolution, I'm doing this as a course uh, to reach Nibbana, then that's a very pure motivation. That's a, Quite a suitable motivation uh, in your practice. Um, has to be defined by one is doing that act of goodness, whatever it may be, in the course of your Dhamma practice. You're doing that act of goodness to abandon in the act, you're abandoning greed, anger and delusion. So again you're abandoning your clinging, your attachment to this sense of self which comes up. It's not I am doing this for, for me, for getting something for me in that sense, one is letting go of that, One's letting go of one's attachment to this body as means myself, I'm practicing for myself to do this for myself in that sense one is doing it as a cause for developing the path of letting go of greed, anger and delusion um, so if one has that in mind, that motivation, that clarity, then one can do that, one can practice in that way and this purifies the good that you're doing. The question was uh, directed to the life of the Buddha, um, when he um, sat down by the Nalanda River in India just the day before, just shortly before his enlightenment, and he made, we say, an Aditana like a solemn resolution, um, if. If he he had a golden tray, they say, of food, and he they, he he put this tray on the water. The river's flowing one direction. He said, "If uh, I'm able to go against the stream of the world, and I'm going to become enlightened, end suffering in in the cycle of birth and death, may this tray, golden tray, flow upstream, just as if as I have to go against the stream of the world." They did on the water and it did flow upstream. And the question was, is that something he just did at that time? It's a kind of, you might say, just something he did in the present moment, a one off isolated event, or is that the culmination of many previous acts of karma? Um, The Tanajan explained well, obviously, it has had many previous uh, factors that led to that moment. Happening for the Buddha, like in his life, we know prior to that he was on the mountain, Dongasiri with the other ascetics, practicing uh, very strictly what we call ascetic practices, where he's pushing himself to his limits, you know, physically, mentally, enduring great pain and hardship and difficulty, but hadn't re- hadn't become enlightened at that stage. Um, and he was reflecting and he had the, the vision of the uh loop player with the three string loop. One string is fr- too flabby, it's not tight enough, so it doesn't play nicely, give a nice sound. And that's indicative of one practising in a we say a way an indulgent way when one is indulging the sense pleasures too much. It's not enough. Uh, mindfulness and wisdom it, present in the mind when is too distracted by sense pleasures and indulging to see the Dhamma and, and um, become enlightened the other, another string was too tight so when you pluck it it doesn't give a nice sound either it's too tight, too tense it's like he had been practicing these previous years, these very strict ascetic practices that made the mind and very tense and put the body under a lot of pressure but didn't bring wisdom the wisdom he was looking for uh, the other string was just the right tension, so you'd pluck it, you get a nice sound, melodious sound. And that's like the ref- he reflected. This is the middle way, that neither of the extreme of sensual indulgence nor the extreme of um, causing oneself pain and hardship over extreme practice of, of pain and hardship. Um, so he reflected on that, and then he also had another had a very auspicious dream vision of him. Uh, becoming enlightened that he would achieve that and he would become a a great teacher in the world with many many disciples followers but he wouldn't be attached to the all the praise and the gains that would come his way or the fame and fortune he wouldn't be attached to that he would be rising above that because his mind would be pure free from defilement Uh, so he had these various experiences that led him to actually give up the ascetic practices come down from that mountain he came to the Nilangela River so he was ready in his mind for enlightenment it was as if all the perfections, the spiritual perfections we call the ten paramis were perfected by now and he was ready to commit himself to practice in a slightly different way than he'd been practicing before but he was ready to commit even to the point of giving up his life this is what we call paramatabharami where you know, you'll keep your, you'll develop your paramis, even if it means giving up your life to do the good of perfecting them in your spiritual practice. So he made this um Aditana, this resolution with the the golden tray. So as many moments, uh, many events and uh, experiences for him had led up to that point. And he crossed the river and then he went to the Bodhi tree where he sat for that night to, and became enlightened. So he also developed what we call satcha parami, another one of the paramis, where he made a vow and he said, "I'm not going to get up from this seat. Once he prepared his seat, I'm not going to get up from this seat until I've put an end to suffering. I'm enlightened, even if I have to die. And you know, I will. I would. I ask to die. If I can't do that, I'd better to die now, here and now." So this is such a, he's making a, a resolution, he's just going to stick to that in his mind and stick, stick stick to that, what he's determined himself to do, um, so even to the point where he'll rather just let his bones dry, his skin and blood, flesh dry up, and all he's left, his bones, he just drops dead. He's willing to do that because the Buddha has developed his parami to that point where there's... There's no turning back, there's no other option, the mind is very fixed on, on nirvana and Enlightenment. Um, so you can say uh, you know he made that resolution in the present moment, but it was dependent on all these factors leading up to that moment. Um yeah, this song, <laughs> and similarly we're just talking in a more obvious way we're all sitting here now we've all got some uh, we say old barami we've got our old karma that has brought us to this point in our life that we have faith in the buddhist teachings that have actually come here today to listen to Dhamma. you know there's many causes and conditions in our practice that have led up to this event right now where we're here right now um, we, you could say we might even have been friends, relatives in the past, who knows, in past lives we might have been fellow Dhamma practitioners in the past. And we've come back to meet each other again, maybe practicing together here and listening to Dhamma and practicing in this life will be a cause for us to meet again in future lives as well. So it's like that. You, you can say the thought to come here to the monastery to listen to Dhamma today, well that's just a one isolated thought you had. One moment. Well, I, I'm going to go to Wolverton today. Listen to Dhamma. Make some food offerings. Or you can say that's an isolated thought, but it's also dependent on all the thoughts before and your your practice you've done before, not just in this life, maybe even past lives. Uh, so you can see it in both ways. Was there any um, was it written down? Any histories? That same might the Gautama Buddha receive any help or guidance from the previous Buddha's practice or from devas to get him to. It's it's the nature of a, a Buddha, the Buddha is self enlightened with no other teacher. And so there's much, all his life story and teachings points to that and his evidence of that. There's no evidence of the Buddha, say, receiving teachings or uh, guidance from devas or other Buddhas, or anything like that. So, you know, every part of his life is pointing to this. So even when the Buddha was first born as a bodhisattva, as a baby, they say he walked seven steps and said, I will... um, be the, the conqueror of this world or the chief of this world, meaning not, not in a physical sense, going to conquer everyone, but meaning going to conquer the, the defilements and overcome the defilements. Even as a baby, he stated that, um, and then he became, he, as, as he left the palace, as a young man, he was the prince living in the palace and he left the palace on his spiritual quest. He did go to study with all the other t- leading teachers of the time in India. And they taught him everything they knew, but none of them could teach him um, the path to enlightenment because none of them themselves had penetrated the Four Noble Truths or understood them. The Buddha had to go off, leave those teachers what he'd learned from them and realize, well, they can't teach me the way to enlightenment the end of suffering. So he went off and he, through his own efforts, his own reflections, developed all the skills, his paramis, it came to the point where he did penetrate realize the Four Noble Truths. That's what the Buddha realizes and that's what he taught. So then having started to teach, where he could teach other people this, the Four Noble Truths, the path that leads to the end of suffering. Um, teach them and teach them well enough that they also could become enlightened. But they're Sāvakas, they're dependent on the Buddha as their teacher. Um, none of them could have become enlightened if the Buddha hadn't first become enlightened. Um a question uh, arising because tomorrow is Mother's Day. Say so for a mother practicing the Dhamma, what, uh, wanting some advice how to practice Dhamma and be a mother at the same time, how to do it well. Um, Tanajan pointed out that the Buddha always said that there's two um, kinds of people who are rare in this world. The first is what we call pupakari, those who give um, support and love and advice to us, have given to us in the past. Mainly it refers to parents, not always, but parents who bring us up in the world. Very hard to find people who give love, support, Without asking anything in return. Um, the other kind of person who's hard to find in the world is Gata New Gata Waiti, one who recognizes and appreciates the help that they have received. So it's usually referring to the offspring, but not always. Um, we've received our, uh, all kinds of support, love, help without anything sought in return from our parents, so it's recognizing that there, then out of Gratitude and appreciation for all that they've done for us, and then also trying to do something to help them back, say, particularly later in life. These two qualities, you know, they're rare in people's minds because we tend to become selfish and self centered and distracted in what we're doing in life, but they're, they're things, reflections to constantly try and bring up in your daily life. The, the Buddha compared our parents to the first Arahants that we meet in the world, meaning that. Parents, the love parents give for their children is you know, it's very pure. It's what we call unconditional love. They're not asking anything in return. You know, when you have a baby, you just feed, clothes, look after that baby without a second thought. You don't seek anything in return. Even if you're tired, you still do the job bringing up that baby, that child. So you're like an arahant. A parent is like an arahant to the child. As that's a very special thing. It's a very special kind of karma. Um, that shouldn't you know, be overlooked or neglected. For the parent, there's uh, one issue is that well, we love our children and especially over time that love grows very strong. It's a very close bind between parent and child and you know, it's an attachment. So that attachment has its good side is that the parent does lots of good things for the child, supports them, educates them, brings them up into the world. the the negative side might be is that an attachment is an attachment and sometimes it has a deluding nature or a blinding, it blinds us to the truth sometimes and so the parent has to, as practicing the Dhamma have to establish their mind with mindfulness and be aware of the the nature of that attachment and how it can lead into um, suffering and try to avoid that. So for example our teacher Ajahn Chah he uh, would comment, say things like, oh, the parents, they love their child every day, they're always looking closely after the child, yeah. they're always teaching it, you might say nagging it, um, always controlling it, looking after the child as it goes up through life, and they think they're doing the right thing, and they've got love. The child, though, over time starts to become fed up, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> always hearing same things from the parent. The parent, though, feels they're doing something very It's very small, it's just telling the child what they should be doing over and over again. The child doesn't feel it's a small thing. Over time they hear so many words so many times they start to feel it's a big thing. Um, These are the kind of things we have to reflect on. How sometimes our love can be blinding because it's an attachment. So sometimes the parents they are in the role of teaching the child, guiding the child looking after the child, well, if they fall into a, an angry mood, say, well, they might, if they lack mindfulness, what will come out in the speech, or sometimes even just saying the right thing, the child doesn't understand, so misunderstanding arises, yeah. the child's not yet able to understand the words or the real meaning of what the parents are telling them, so they misunderstand the suffering on both parts there, so there's many opportunities for suffering to arise. In a relationship between parents and children, and this is something to reflect on, and try to become more mindful of ourselves as we do perform our role as a as a parent. Um, be mindful of our own state of mind, our mental states that arise, to see whether we do have greed or anger or delusion coming up, to see that and abandon that, and this will give us the opportunity to do that, perform that role better with less suffering and less less suffering for that for our child child as well it's a question about um, some couples don't have children if couples partners married or in a relationship don't have children sometimes it's through choice um, they could have children but they choose not to is this is this some kind of karma? Or is the karma, is this karma causes from the past that they think in this way, not to have children? And uh, Tanajan says, yes, obviously there's possibly some karma from the past. They might have had past experiences that have led to this decision. Also, current karma, the way they're thinking right now as well. And it can come from different things. Sometimes it's for reasons, maybe one has. in the past seeing the suffering that anyone's brought up in a family, seeing the suffering of one's own parents bringing up children and then, or other people bringing up children and reflected on that and decided I oh, don't want to experience that suffering. Uh, it's a lot of suffering to bring up children, it's a lot of effort, it's a lot of worry I uh, don't want that. So they decide not to have uh, The Buddha said there's, you know, there's there's, different kinds of suffering, if you've decided Or if you have no children, you're in a relationship, you have no children. Uh, If you want children and can't get children for whatever reason, medical or whatever other reason, uh, then that's suffering, isn't it? If you're trying to get something you haven't got, you'll suffer. Or sometimes people have children and they find it's quite a lot of work, burden, worry. So then they wish they hadn't got children. Another kind of suffering. Um this is the way we are. Sometimes though to have children gives us insight into our own relationship to our parents so it can have some benefits. Uh, the famous story in the time of the Buddha the King Ajatasattu who uh, actually tortured his father King Bimbisara, to death um, never really fully appreciated what it's like to be a father and the relationship between father and son until the day he had his own son his own son was born and instantly had this recognition of what it is to feel the love for a son um, but he'd already his, his father was already dead at that point it was too late for him but it was only then he realized by having his own son so having children can have many good effects on us open our minds up to understand things better and so on so yeah so because there are these different reflections you can see.